we can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Lovely listeners. I say all because two was get us cancelled if we were on television. This is episode five of Hey Kids Comics, a comic book podcast in which I, Andrew Leyland, and my plucky sidekick, Michael Leyland, hello, on time. Well done. Pick some comics that appeal to us, and then we talk about them. It's not exactly a high concept, high budget show, is it? I wouldn't exactly say high budget. No high concept. No, I'm down on the high concept. You think? Yeah. You don't think anyone's ever done this before? Has anyone ever done it the way we do it? Probably not, because they're not us. Exactly. Uh, jobs are good. Having used the gateway drug that is superhero comics for the first four episodes, we're getting all weird and wonderful on your ass for the next four episodes as we delve into the wild and wacky world of Vertigo. are an imprint of DC Comics aimed specifically at a more mature audience. Vertigo was launched in 1993 under the editorial guidance of Karen Berger, who still steers the imprint today. Some titles from DC's lineup became Vertigo titles, whilst others were created especially for the purpose. A number of titles published under the Vertigo imprint have become some of the most refreshing and different books on the market, and many have become movies of varying quality. Hellblazer, the story of John Constantine, a blonde 40-something scouse mage, became the movie Constantine, which was derailed from the get-go by casting as the title character Keanu Reeves, who is neither blonde nor scouse, although he is in his 40s, so one out of three ain't bad. Excellent! Party on! (laughs) No, that was Wayne and Garth, wasn't it? Not Bill and Ted. Yeah. I'm mixing up my Bills and my Ted's and my Wayne's and my Garth's. (laughs) Never impressive. It's such a difficult thing. It is. It's Bill and Ted were better than Wayne and Garth. Okay. In my humble opinion. We were Wayne and Garth. Wayne's World. Party on. Excellent. Excellent. That's pretty much it, yeah. And the whole what's his name? You're very attractive. Not. <laughs> that all came from Wayne's World. Right. And that does tie in, actually, because there is that gag is in one of the comics that we've just read. Is it? Michael's face is looking perplexed, something that doesn't work in audio, as I've tried to explain to him. Yes, there's a not gag in one of those issues that we're about to discuss. Okay. I will show it to you when we come to it. Okay. Because I remember thinking, oh, if anything dates this, it's that. Okay. Somebody referring to Wayne's World. Never mind. Um, Other more successful movie adaptations include The Losers, which we haven't seen. Nope. So I don't know if it's more successful or not. But it does have, what's his name in it? Sam and Dean's dad from Supernatural. What's his name? The comedian. Yeah. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yes. It does have Jeffrey Dean Morgan in, so it's probably worth watching. And it's got Captain America in it. Okay. Chris Evans is in it also. It's the comedian, not the gayest dude ever. No. It does not... Does Larry Grayson is the gayest dude no, ever. but read Watchmen. It's not striking to have lots of gay... Louis t- Spence is the gayest guy a ever. a big blue naked man waving his wang. Not gay at all. There's a guy dressed in a gimp mask and leather straps. Not gay at all. Tangents. <laughs> v for Vendetta, which we have seen, which didn't suck. No. It wasn't great. Grandad laughed all the way through it. Did he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like the 
any room to ground and laughing through a film. I don't know why. Especially a film that should be serious. Yeah. What did he find funny about it? I don't I think the whole blowing up the house of... Oh, was he down with yeah. the, the murder of the government? Yeah. Was he was Grandad happy with that? Yeah. Brilliant. I don't know the reason I like me Grandad. Um, and Natalie Portman was good. And Stephen Fry was in it. Was it? Yeah, Stephen Fry's always good value. Okay. With his plummy voice. QI. That was a very bad impression of Stephen Fry. You are Fry. a sack boy. Uh, Stardust which we also have seen and we, we own that on VVD don't we? Yes. I don't know what VVD is. I'm <laughs> sure I meant DVD but we own V for Vendetta as well. Uh, did we like Stardust? Yeah it was alright. Didn't have the man-eating trees in it. Oh right. Well see I couldn't get into the book. Oh okay. I always found the book a bit twee for my liking. Right. Which is a shame because I like everything else Neil Gaiman's ever done. Uh, the best of the bunch however was A History of Violence. Have you seen that? No. That's really good. Okay. Viggo Mortensen and... Um, Ed Harris Okay. it's really quite good I don't know how faithful it is to the comic because I've never read the comic but it's a good film the best of the Vertigo books titles such as Preacher, Sandman, Transmetropolitan Why the Last Man, 100 Bullets offer the US comic market different styles of comics in an arena becoming increasingly reliant on superheroes the worst of the Vertigo books are esoteric exercise in pretension and deliberate obfuscation how come Hellblaze is not on that? Um, I mean, I've not read much of it anymore, so it can't be that good. Well, maybe it is, I've just not read it anymore. But Garth Ennis's run on it was very was good. Was exceptionally good. Yes. yes. The, the most concentrated run of Hellblazer I've ever read. I've read bits of it from here and there, but the Garth Ennis stuff ruined it for other people, I think. Um, we're only going to try and look at the very best. This week, we'll be looking at Sandman number 8 which introduces one of the most popular characters from Sandman, his big sister Death, and follow that up with a look at her debut miniseries, Death, The High Cost of Living. Death first appeared in Sandman 8, but was only named in Sandman 22, I think. Do you have any further information on that? I think it is 22, because she's in 8, but she's never named. Then again, in 30, 20, 30. Mm. no, 19. Right. So she has two appearances before she's named. Yeah. But we're not entirely... We, we think it's Sandman 22. But the level of research you've come to expect from our show. Yeah. Michael's now leafing through his big fat absolute My absolute edition. collects 20 issues. Right, so it doesn't go up to 20. Oh, so she's in there. She yeah. was in the last panel there, so she must so. be in issue 20 or 90. She's one of seven endless that include death, delirium, despair, dream, desire, destruction... And destiny. And what are the endless? We don't know. They're but we there. genuinely don't know. No, they're just there. So if I look this up on Wikipedia... You'll just say, no one knows. Really? Pretty much. Okay, well we're going to check on that. Wikipedia are a group of beings who embody powerful forces or aspects of the universe in the DC comic book series The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. They have existed since the dawn of time and are thought to be among the most powerful beings in the universe. There you go. So Wikipedia knows who the endless are, even yeah, if we don't. They're just there. Yeah, they kind they of just come from anywhere. Exist, mm. don't they? Uh, anyway, musical interlude, I think. Okay.
songs tonight are going to have a death type theme to them so we do hope you like them low and depressed we are feeling very low and depressed you can tell by the sound michael gets to go first tonight because he won't let anyone else touch his beloved absolute sandman i'll let you touch it if you wear gloves but we're white gloves and you have a poker (laughs) go on tell us what you're going to tell us okay this is issue eight of the sandman volume two because volume one was the joe simon one okay Yep. Uh, and it was has a cover date of August eight, 1989. You were six years away from even existing. I did, yeah. I was a little fishy. No, we're not doing that on podcast. <laughs> Get on with it. This <laughs> issue is called The Sound of Her Wings, and it has a very good cover by Dave McKean, who did all the covers for The Sandman, including, as far as I know, the spin-offs, except for Lucifer. This cover is amongst my favourites. It's a girl, her features covered by shadows, looking to her side. She's wearing an ankh, the Egyptian symbol of eternal life. Behind her is something that resembles a wing, and above her head is a cloud. There is a border that only go on both sides, left and right. And having compared the cover in my absolute to that of the original issue, this cover um, is brighter and the original one is smaller, so it's trimmed at the side so you don't get all the leaves. Right. That made the border. I see. And it's also smaller at the bottom. Okay. It's written by Neil Gaiman. The artist from Mike Dringenberg. Is it Dringenberg? It looks like Dringenberg. Okay. Malcolm Jones III. It's coloured by Daniel Vozzo, but the original co- uh, colours for the issue was by Robbie... Is that but- John Bush? Bush. Hey. It's lettered by Todd Clean, and it's edited by Art Young and Karen Berger. So have they recoloured the Absolute Editions? Um, except for a couple of issues, yeah. Right. You can tell on this issue as well, they've gotten rid of the backgrounds. Right. So the backgrounds weren't originally white. No, you have. So if you've got Sandman 8, you've got coloured backgrounds. Yeah, some of them are blue and pink and all sorts. Right. So, Dream... Is sat feeding the pigeons inside a drowned fountain, dried fountain in Washington Square Park. Around him are young boys playing football. The ball comes flying at him and he catches it and hands him back to him, all without looking. He's cool, isn't he? Yeah. Along comes a young girl, dressed in black and wearing an ankh. She sits beside him and begins to talk about Mary Poppins. Amongst... well, yeah. She asks Dream... What's wrong with him? And Dream tells of the events of the previous seven issues, where he's captured, and he escapes, and hunting his three possessions, his helmet, pouch of sand, and his ruby, which contains all of his powers. He says now that his quest is over, there's nothing left for him to do. We learn that this girl knows Dream, as she as she yells at Dream for moping, being self-centred, and not having the balls to chase after another quest. The ball flies at them again. The girl catches it this time, and she says that Dream's her brother. She invites him to come along to work with her, and he accepts. The boy with the ball, who's called Franklin, asks the girl if she wants to go for a drink. She says that she'll see him again, and vanishes along with Dream, leaving Franklin uh, Franklin to wonder how she knew his name. They travel around to visit people in their last moments of life, an old Jewish man who plays a fiddle, a young comedian during the peak of her act, a small baby, 
an overdose victim, a hospital patient, and a gunshot victim, just to name a few. Few. It's probably safe to say now that this girl is death, though it's not, not confirmed yet. As we've mentioned. Yep. Every person death meets, Dream hears the sound of wings after they talk to her. Back Hence the wings on the cover. Yes. Hey, it all works The sense, sound of her wings. Mm. Back in Washington Square Park, Dream thanks Death for the trip. Behind them, Franklin is hit by a car. Death leaves Dream and walks off with Fran- uh, Franklin. Dream takes a handful of sand from his pouch and, with a large smile on his face, throws it around him whilst the pigeons fly over him. wasn't feeling particularly fulfilled rather than well that was it yeah yeah because it says that his little game is over and she's not he's not got the balls to go out and find a new one i just get the feeling he's he's just feeling a bit down that he's accomplished everything he set out to do i mean i don't know if sam man was was it intended to carry on after the first eight or nine issues yeah or could it have ended there and that would have been a complete story no, that was it but i think neil gaiman has said that he only planned out the first eight issues. Right. And then when it was successful, he, he carried on. Yeah, he had the story for the rest of them. Right. Okay, so he knew he knew roughly what he was doing. Yeah. Right. Uh, the cover is very interesting and very different from the other books that were being published at the time. Uh, Morphe's catching the ball without looking is very cool at the top of page three. Um, but Death repeats Morphe's catch the ball trick on page ten and his anything is even cooler. Mm. Um... Death spells out the subtext for the issue when she talks about Murray Poppins. Uh, it's de rigueur for all British people to take the mick out of Dick Van Dyke's British accent in that movie, and I am no exception. Go blimey, Mary Poppins! Up the apples and pears! Go blimey, chimney sweep! Chim chimney chim chimney chim chim chiri! And I'm actually British and can't do a Cockney accent. Did you know that a spoonful of sugar really does make the medicine go down, unless you're diabetic? <laughs> Oh, God damn. Uh, the Disney movie, as Death explains, follows banker Mr. Banks. Do you like what they did there? It's very funny. It's very clever. Who is not happy spending all his time at work, and all the things that are supposed to make him happy, money, success, title, don't. It's only when Murray shows him that spending time with his kids is the route to true happiness that he lets loose and starts enjoying his life. And essentially, that's what she teaches dr- Death. Dream. Dream. Yep. She is Death. Got a bit confused there. Um, when the comedian dies, which you mentioned in your synopsis, she's making a joke about dying on stage, which did make me laugh an insane amount when I read this. Apparently, <laughs> she's talking about um, Finger, Death in the Family as well. Uh, yeah, I, she's I making a joke. I didn't get that she was talking about Death in the Family. No, but she's making a joke about Batman going home one day and, yeah. and saying to the missus, Oh, by the way, I've decided to pack in being an accountant. And I'm going to dress up like a bat and fight crime. If you were an accountant, would you? What, dress up like a bat and fight crime? Yeah. No, you'd probably just be into S&M and drink a lot. Right. Although that is dressing up in black leather, I suppose. Yeah. Just a different moderation. You don't throw yourself off buildings, do you? No. Page 18, where the baby dies. 
oh. is just oh it's so tragic and so sad and yet it's perfectly Neil Gaiman he does tragedy tinged with hope brilliantly and that last panel where the mum realises that the baby's had cot death or suffered from cot death oh sorry I just touched his absolute <laughs> and now he's about to murder me that would be bad a bit of patricide wouldn't it this is um, the last episode by the way because <laughs> I won't be here tomorrow um, it's really really sad I was quite saddened by that page um, but Gaiman does stuff like this brilliant wonderfully 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 good yeah, do you have anything to say yes Another thing about the cover was um, these issues, these covers were apparently the first of their kind because Gaiman had to persuade um, Karen Berger. Karen Berger to let him do covers that didn't have the protagonist on it every issue. All right, they were at the time they were very good and very different and very striking. Mm. When you saw them on the comic rack, they did stand out. It's a good issue as a standalone one and for new readers to jump on the bandwagon. He does. I I read issue eight of this and I've not read the first seven. It is Sandman 8, isn't it? Yeah. I've not read the first seven for cool 10, 15 years and I still thoroughly enjoyed this. And I've read this twice since Christmas. Well, this one was... Just this one issue. Yeah. The first, this was the one I picked apart the graphic novels before I decided I wanted the absolute. Right. So, so this issue made you read them? Pretty much. What more could you ask? Yeah. Every person could either be in New York or around the world, but the destinations are never specified. Right. And I really like the artwork in this book, mostly because of the buildings instead of the people. Because some of them, like... That does look like it's photos, doesn't it? But it's edited in a way. It's all very dark and grungy and stuff. Mm, It's very nice. Um... I've noticed here that the old Jewish person has a skull painting. Just on his wall? Yeah. Fair enough. As you do. Um, There are graffiti on the walls which are related to death and dream, like no one gets out of here alive and dreams make no promises. (laughs) Death is never named in this story, as we've said, and is not until Season of Mists. Uh, death is previously mentioned in issue one as the member of the Endless that Burgess is trying to summon. Would that not be Burgess? Burgess. As in Burgess Meredith? Might be. You know who Burgess Meredith is? Yes. Yes, you do. Do I? You're gonna crap thunder and piss lightning, Rocky! <laughs> and he was the penguin in the Batman TV series. The series must be The Batman TV series. Run along, dear. Can you imagine Sean Connery's Batman? <laughs> <laughs> what are you? I'm Batman. <laughs> Not really, no. Catwoman won't be the same again. No, Catwoman wouldn't recover. Oh, a bad girl. Well, let, no, let, let no, me no. help. Run along, dear. Run, Run along, dear. dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, Death mentions Desire, who again isn't in it until Season of Mist. Um, and they're on pages four, five, pages four, panel six, five, panel two, eight, panel three, thirteen, panel seven are my favourite panels ever of the character. Of death. Yeah. There are more of them, like the Little Endless, for example, <laughs> but most of my favourite of them are in this. They're pretty much close ups of a face covered up in a very grungy way. I prefer what we will see in the next issue. I like this. Mike Dringenberg's out. It's very good. And he obviously created what death looks like. Mm-hmm. But I prefer... Chris Bacalo's just looks cuter. Okay. Do you not think? Well, does she not change age all the time? I don't know. I don't know how old she's she supposed looks, to be. She's meant to be like 16 in this. And then she's meant to be about 30 or something in the talks about AIDS pamphlet. Right. So they just change your age for no particular reason. Um, They keep trying to make a Sandman movie or TV show. Eric Kripke's doing one. Is he? Is that going ahead? Mm -hmm. Well, Um, I don't know. Issues like this is where it would suffer. Um, It's a small yet beautiful tale, expertly told, that just makes you feel. You feel Morpheus as his sister's zest for life, irony alert, wakes him out of his funk. You feel for every single person death must take on this day, even if you only meet them for a few panels. Um, 
the trouble with Sandman is so much has been written about it that it's really difficult to find anything new or unpretentious to say about it. Um, the art's alright, it's satisfactory, it's a little murky for my taste, but the story is just lovely. Um, I think it may be this issue, may have been the first Sandman story I read, just like you, except 15 years earlier. Um, and it made me want to read more as well, and it also just made me want to know more about Neil Gaiman. Um, the story just makes you feel, okay. and I think that's the best compliment you can pay to a writer. Try not to breathe I can hold my head still With my hands and my knees These eyes are the eyes of the old Shivering and bold I will try not to breathe This decision is mine I have lived a full life These are the eyes that I want you to remember Something to fly over my grave I need something to breathe I will try not to burn I can hold these inside I will hold my breath Till all these shivers subside Just look in my eyes Try not to worry you I have seen things that you will never see Leave it to memory me I shudder to breathe I want you to remember Morpheus isn't in that at all. Oh, I like talking to you. You know stuff I don't. <laughs> Death, The High Cost of Living was a miniseries released by Vertigo in March of 1993. It was the first Vertigo book created specifically for Vertigo. If you have a look at the On the Ledge by Karen Berger in issue 2 of the Death miniseries, Death, The High Cost of Living issue 2 was followed up by Sandman Mystery Theatre issue 1. So it was the first book to come out under the Vertigo imprint. Although Enigma issue 2 was also out the same month. Issue 1, as all the subsequent issues of this three-issue miniseries, was written by Neil Gaiman, with art by Chris Bacala and Mark Buckingham. It's lettered by Todd Clean, coloured by Steve O'Leaf, and edited by Karen Berger. The cover is a typical Dave McKean piece of abstraction. If you like that sort of thing, it's a good cover. If you don't, you won't. Um, I'm not overly impressed with that one. I like the silver of the ank and the names of the writers and artists and the side panel, because when you hold it under the light, it really does glow like a 3D cover, only they didn't charge you extra money for it. Um, But the cover itself just looks like a murky photograph. Like most of them. Which, I suppose, is a criticism you could level at most of them, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They all have ripped up as well. Yeah. The second one. Yeah. But I still like them. Yeah, well, you know. He's the artist I used to my art teacher to show that comic books are out. What, you used Chris Bacala? No, Dave McKean. Dave McKean. Yeah, fair enough. I can can go with that. Because it's the kind of thing that would appeal to an art teacher. Yeah. Isn't it? Pretty much. Did he like them? Says she, and no. Oh. She's kind of like, it's very too abstract and you can't do that properly. Not yet. (laughs) <laughs> well, that wasn't the point. You were showing her that comics could be art. Yeah. She still won't she, let me I don't me think you were on. pretending to say, look, I could do an abstract. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
Uh, the story begins. In a less than salubrious area of London, three punky girls bring Mad Hetty a dove. Do you know who Mad Hetty is? Uh, I believe you've mentioned that she was in an earlier issue of Sandman. Sandman 3. There you go. Uh, which they had a hard time procuring because there ain't any doves in London. Hetty pays them a fiver, but they decide to push it and ask for more, brandishing a knife. Hetty does some mojo and knocks the girls down a peg. They accuse her of being a witch, but Hetty merely laughs, saying, You don't get to 250 without learning a few things. Gavna. Gavna. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They will be re, re, re-recording all my attempts at accents. <laughs> Probably. So far we've had terrible Sean Connery. Bad Cartney. Bad Dick Van Dyke doing Cartney. <laughs> yeah. what, el- what else is in my repertoire? Don't know, give it a go. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Hetty takes the dove and cuts it up, muttering enigmatically the whole time. One month later, Sexton Furnival is writing his suicide note, but is interrupted by his mother. He goes out for a while, saying hi to his disabled neighbour as he goes. He wanders over to the tip, but the box he is standing on gives way, and he falls. He calls for help, and a girl who looks very similar to Death from the Sandman comics shows up. A pretty goth girl with pale skin, black clothing, and wearing an ankh, she offers to take him to her place... To tidy him up, but on the way, we learn from a neighbour that she's called Dee Dee and lost all her family last week. Oh, Curiouser and curiouser, said Alice. Dee Dee sews up Sexton's pants. And refuses, (laughs) so she's asking him back to her place and then taking his pants off him. Yeah. What a lucky guy. Stuff like that never happened to me. But if it was going his way, would he not die? Well, we'll we'll see later. (laughs) Don't ruin it for the people who are listening. I'm sorry. (laughs) Whoever may be listening to this trivial. Dee Dee sews up Sexton's pants and enthuses about how awesome apples are. Apples are awesome. I I concur. If you say so. I believe apples to be awesome. Down with a good orange myself. down with the apple. You like a good orange? Yep. Excellent. Chocolate Uh, oranges are better. After some banter, she confesses to Sexton that she is in fact deaf. Sexton just thinks she's a bit of a weirdo and leaves, wishing he'd said something smart or witty instead of just being a buffoon. Outside, he bumps into Mad Hetty, who forces Sexton to take her to Dee Dee's apartment. Hetty says she wants Dee Dee to find her heart for her. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. What are your notes on this particular issue, young Michael? The reuse of panels got annoying sometimes. Yeah, well, that's something that's since become an art form, particularly in Brian Michael Bendis' books. Well, they just keep using it over and over again, particularly in Invincible. But this one is just annoying when they um, use the same panel again and then zoom in so it all looks blurry and pixelated. Again, that's something that seems to happen an awful lot with um, Bendis' stuff. But Alex Maleev does it a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. I totally know who he is. Um, yeah, you do. Do I? Yeah. If you say so. He drew Bendis' Daredevil run. Not read Dirt, Bendis' Daredevil. Okay. And um, the big panel there on page 16 and page 24 Mm -hmm. are some of my favourites. Page 24 is brilliant. That would make a pretty good poster. I mean, you'd have to take the the words off it, but, you know. I think that's called dialogue. Well, yes. (laughs) But posters don't tend to have dialogue. Some do. Okay. Oh, and Death is also wearing a smiley face badge, which may be a nod to Neil Gaiman's I'm sure you mean Alan influences from Alan Moore. Um, good save. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I know what I'm saying all along. Though. I'm sure you do. Unlike me, you just makes it up as he goes along. Uh, the art in this book is gorgeous. A lot of Vertigo books later on had scratchy abstract art. I prefer that. No, it just puts <laughs> me off. That's kind of... Is it Ted McKeever? Or uh, Sean McKeever? It's one of them. Well, there's Thingy Simpson from... Uh, and Will Simpson. Who did Hellblazer. Yeah, just look scratchy. Then, I mean, at least Will Simpson could draw anatomy, unlike McKeever. Yeah. And it's just... No, I don't like it. When when Vertigo started, they actually did have the Carlo and Duncan Fregredo drawing the books, so they did actually look quite good. But somewhere along the line, there seems to be this idea that scratchy art is somehow more arty and worthy. And I always just thought it was crap. Yeah, I like it. Um, but Carlo's a great artist, and this helps elevate the book amongst the pack. 
Um, his facial expressions especially are excellent at the bottom of page 22. And as we've mentioned, page 24 is gorgeous. Um, Sexton is a typical moany, oh, woe is me teenager. But, you know, we've all been there, I suppose. But you're not a woe-is-me teenager either. suppose so. Yeah. You don't walk around dressed all in black and listen to The Cure. Although The Cure I'll are quite to, jolly. I listen to The Cure. Yeah. yeah. I listen to Depeche Mode and Joy Division on the other hand. And The Smiths. Yeah. Uh, I do a cyclonic twitch all the time. And so does your mum. And so, I sorry, know. is that just a good fact? No, it's <laughs> a dance. A cyclonic twitch. So he's just bringing that up? Is it no, 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 it's, 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 it's in the issue. I did not know what it's called. They explain in the issue, it's the the moment where you're falling asleep and you're dreaming of taking a step. Okay. You twitch when you're falling asleep. Right. And I do that all the time because sometimes it wakes me up. Right, so it is tying into... Cause it is. No, it's, it's not just <laughs> a random state. I do a cyclonic twitch all the time. It's not I've just not walked up to a strange person in the street and said that to them. Right. There is a reason that I said, I would have thought you've read this book. But, <laughs> I did read it, but you know, our audience might not have. What I know. Um, it's another lovely, low-key little tale. Uh, it's part one. So obviously it's just set up rather than pay off. But we're unsure as to who Dee Dee is. Is she deaf? Or is she just as insane as Mad Hetty? As usual for Gaiman, the dialogue is clever and funny with none of the overwritten exposition of a lot of Vertigo books where the writer is just demonstrating how clever they are. Gaiman's stuff seems so normal and is clever without screaming, Look at me! I'm dead clever me! You didn't do an accent that time. Um, I didn't feel I needed to do an accent that time. Look at me! I'm clever, me! Yes. There's some good ads in this book. Um, really? Really quite dated <laughs> ads, to be honest with you, but still quite fun. Uh, there's one for the Lynx. You won't remember the Lynx, will you, at all? Given that this now, book came out two years before you were born. Is it not a deodorant? No, it's not a deodorant. It was a handheld console of the time that right. looks archaic by today's standards. It was very similar to the PSP. I'm sure it'll get a re-release. As Probably. A retro. As a retro thing. There's an advert for laser discs, which just never really took off in this country at all. I don't know how big they were in America. Um, and the only thing that really left a sour taste in the mouth was the Vertigo ad, which really does come across as um, We're Brilliant Us. Um, comics have gotten smarter and better looking which I just think is a real slap in the face um, Will Eisner, Steve Gerber and Steve Englehart and Chris Clermont were writing smart stories and Neil Adams, John Byrne and George Perez did pretty good looking art so you don't really need to slag other people off Grant Morrison to make your own thing clever things once you got past the this makes no sense Yes. and the headaches are we going to do an episode at some point where you don't mention Grant Morrison? I think if I do it over and over and over time, I can get a record or something. Yes. Very good.
high cost of living part two, a night to remember. And if I could put any more colons in that, I would. <laughs> the cover. Yeah, colon. The high cost of living, colon, a night to remember, full stop. It's not full stop, forget. I just made that up. Yeah. The cover is the same type of McKean-esque work here, but it's brown, which makes it the odd one out of the three books. Yeah. And it looks like there's a different model for death every time. Yes, well, maybe he's drawing DD now. Mm. It looks like two people on this cover, because that must be a her there, but her head ends there. Hmm, very strange. Abstract. So, DD promises Mad Hetty that she'll find her heart, and so she and Sexton walk New York. Very strangely, she's too keen on buying a street vendor hot dog. But I can't say I've ever had one in New we York. We have had street vendor hot dogs. You sure? Not in New York, but we've had one. Have we? Well, we've never been to New York. No, but you're planning on doing it without me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> ever had yes, vendor hot dogs? Yes, we've had vendor hot dogs. I'm pretty sure we've had vendor hot dogs. I don't think I have. I'm pretty sure we have. We've you... got onions and sauce and mustard and such on them. They're no different to the ones you get in Costco. Don't, you're okay. not telling me you've not had a Costco hot dog. I will have a Costco well, hot dog. Well, they're the same as them. Um, she calls for a taxi. Oh, she gets the hot dog for free. She gets everything for free. She does. She calls for a taxi and tells the driver to go anywhere. Meanwhile... Which she gets for free. Yeah. Yeah, so she gets the hot dog and the taxi for free. The entire taxi. I don't think he gives it up. <laughs> I think he just does the ride. Yeah. He doesn't get out at the end and say, Here, take my cab. <laughs> Meanwhile... Two shady-looking characters stand on a corner. The most worser-looking... So what? <laughs> the worser. What do they <laughs> teach you people in English? The most worser-looking. <laughs> the most nefarious would be better. The most... W- I hope your English teacher listens to this. I got an A grade in my English assessment. It doesn't show. Carry on. Okay. You can edit that out anyway. <laughs> I'm not, no. I'm going to leave your terrible grammar in. Because it's not like you were speaking and you've made grammatical errors. Because everyone does that when they talk. You wrote that down. You wrote down the most worse. I know that the spell checker is of the devil. But, you know, at least a clue, though, that this may not actually be a word. I'll live with my sister. The most nefarious That's better. looking says that he can feel her coming and tells the other one to get to her fast, or at least her rank. Dee Dee spots a large crowd outside a club and asks the taxi driver to pull over. He gives her the free, uh, ride for free. However, he doesn't like Sexton, so he has to pay the tip. <laughs> yeah, he makes Sexton give him two dollars, doesn't he? <laughs> Very funny. Sexton spots someone he knows. Hazel, who used to work as a chef for his mum. Hazel's girlfriend, Foxglove, is playing at the club. Sexton talks to someone from a record company who knows his dad, and he gives Sexton his card. Sexton also bumps into a woman with long gloves who says that he shouldn't commit suicide. No, he shouldn't. No. Even though he's a whiny, mopey, miserable git, he shouldn't commit suicide. I think he should. (laughs) (laughs) Well... You you really are down with the compassion, aren't you? I've read all three issues and I still thought he was whiny at the end. No, he doesn't change. No. Which is quite interesting. Normally, character arcs would be that he changes. I mean, he doesn't want to kill himself anymore. He's still whiny. But he's still whiny. Well, he's still a teenager, isn't he? Thanks. No offence to you, my teenage son. Uh... When Sexton returns to Dee Dee, she's talking to someone who knows... Uh, who he knows from school and we know he was standing from the street corner with the funny looking man he tells her thus a major plot point cometh indeed he tells her that he'll show her a good time you know like going to a party or something yes yep not taking a stranger (laughs) back to her house and taking his pants off good time (laughs) he leads them into a derelict room where he strikes Dee wouldn't your spider sense tingle at this point yeah. Although one would hope you were smart enough not to go off with a strange man. I'd go off with death, but not a strange man. No, well, she's quite cute. Well, yeah. So I'd forgive you for that. Depends which death, though. 
this one. Right. Not the guy from the Terry Pratchett books. Or the Marvel one. Or the guy from the Seventh Seal. He strikes Dee Dee and takes her rank. The funny-looking dude shows up and tells Theo, the doo-doo hitter, to hand, him, uh, to hand the ank to him. And, uh, he refuses to. So, the funny-looking dude hits Leo into a wall. There's a lot of blood, and he falls on the floor. Aww. Taking the ank, he leaves the room and locks it behind them. Having stayed there for a long time, Leo dies. Shame. Yep. Dee Dee finds a bouncing clown, and whilst using it to show sex and how they'll be alright, and they'll bounce right back up, it just falls on the floor, and it doesn't make any of them feel any comfortable. Is that not the Russian doll? Nope. Not the ba- Is that a completely different thing? Yeah. Not the Russian doll. Because the Russian doll plays an important part in the next issue. Indeed. Is well, it a clown? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll go with that. Um, fair enough. Uh, I did like on page three, the hot dog vendor gives Death Dee Dee a free hot dog, but she has a cute smile and makes life worth living. Irony alert! <laughs> on page 14, have a look on page 14, Sexton meets Willow Rosenberg. Yes, okay. Four years before Buffy the Vampire Slayer would start. That is so Alison Hannigan. Look at that. Okay. It's, it, it is, isn't it? For a second there, I turned into a 14-year-old boy. That's Alison Hannigan. I'm quite impressed by that. Okay. How Alison Hannigan could appear as Willow Rosenberg in a comic book four years before the show was created. Mm. And Impressive. Also on page 15, panels two and three, she looks an awful lot like Desire. Does she? Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Maybe she was there. Probably. Very impressive. Sexton's incessant woe is me act is really starting to get on my nipple nuts now. But thankfully, you know on page what? 23, my nipple nuts... Okay. I'm twisting my melons, man. <laughs> Death Deedee slaps him down on page 23. That was he a, had it coming. In. She doesn't actually slap him physically, we should point out. She just verbally smacks the whining, smug, self-righteous whiner. She kicks him in the metaphorical ball. Yes, metaphorically speaking. Um, again, it's a very good, enjoyable issue, full of Gaiman's patented dialogue, leading up to a decent finale. So far, the story seems to be about the joy of being alive, but Sexton's whining is just dragging me down. Um, this issue starts with Dee Dee and Sexton walking through Washington Square Park with dudes playing football. Just like Sam and Eight. Just like Sam and Eight. Uh, cyclical. Yep. Cyclical. The funny looking. <laughs> The story of life. Yeah. I don't know. Think of a circle. The Pretend circle. I said something clever. The circle, yes. Weren't they a Superman bad guy? I was going for the circle of life. In the circle <laughs> of life. Singing as well. <laughs> We've got everything I, in Can this you believe issue. people don't pay for this? This much entertainment for free should not be allowed. I can't imagine they don't pay for it. <laughs> 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 this much entertainment, he said. <laughs> it could only be more entertaining if we was recording it as a video oh no that wouldn't be more entertaining I've got a face for radio we could, Go do, on. A, we could do a dance that way as well I, we could I don't think people would pay <laughs> for that though Okay. the funny looking dude the bad guy looks a lot like John Constantine with a prune face he does look like John Constantine with a prune face if John Constantine were in the cantina in Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. that's what he looks like. The Eremite yes. is his name. Did you find out what an Eremite means? I did means? find out what an Eremite means. It's some religious thing, and I've forgotten. I did actually look that up. Uh, yes, I did some research. It's all right. It's a religious thing. We can settle for that. Yeah. Hazel and Foxglove were last in A Game of You. Okay. And uh, Foxglove's song, Donna's Dream, might be a reference to Donna who was the transsexual who lived in the apartment with her and Hazel. See, if I have a criticism of game and stuff, it's that it's so right on, isn't it? There's a transsexual there somewhere, and there's always a disabled person, and there's probably a, a homosexual somewhere, possibly a lesbian. She may even be bi. And it's like, you know... Well, this one's got it all. Yes. We've got, the lesbian We've got the lot here, including quite bad, crazy, mad people. <laughs> Obviously. Yes, they are. And if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom. And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard. And I'll run naked through the street without my mask on. And I will never need umbrellas in the rain. I'll wake 
wake up in strawberry feet every day And the atrocities of school I can't forgive The happy fandom has no right to bitch and Steve Dillon heartily recommend it the cover it's a Dave McKean joint you pretty much know what to expect at this point it's abstract and it's murky and and back to grey and silver and it's back to having silver on it yes the title for issue 3 is The High Cost of Living and it's by the usual suspect whilst Hetty borrows some tea from next door Dee Dee and Sexton worry about the situation Dee Dee finally explains the plot Every 100 years, Dee Dee gets to spend one day as a normal human to best taste mortality. Dee Dee does, or death does? Well, we, we, we're hedging our bets on that at the moment, aren't we? Oh, so we're not telling them the ending yet? No, well, let's not give away the ending until we actually get to the ending. I suppose we should put spoiler alerts at the beginning of these things, shall we? We should be recording with flashing noises and... (laughs) We will be talking about the end of a story. So if you don't want to know the ending of the story, don't listen. Yes. We'll just take that bit out and put it at the beginning. What, how the story ends? No, me (laughs) saying that. Right. Okay. Sexton tries to find objects that will enable them to escape and remembers that this was the plot of an old movie he saw once where death gets to spend a day as a mortal. After rejecting the idea of throwing a Russian doll at the Eremite, for that is the name of the bad guy, apparently, he yes. finds some marbles and plants them in front of the door so the Eremite will fall when he enters. So he's called the Eremite now? Yes. Not John Constant Pruneface? No. John Constant Pruneface. However, it isn't the Eremite that enters, but Mad Hetty, who read about their predicament in the tea leaves of the tea she borrowed from next door. I can do that too. What, read tea leaves? Yeah. You can't read the newspaper. <laughs> so boring. Well, it is, yeah. And fictional. More fictional than these. AIDS, death, destruction, poverty. Where's this stuff happening? And Katie Price. Who? <laughs> Be thankful you don't know who she is. Uh, Dee Dee promises Hattie that she will continue the search for her heart. And she and Sexton go for breakfast. Which doesn't strike me as continuing the search for her heart. we'll look for your heart but we're a bit peckish does she not know where it is oh I don't know probably she seems quite enigmatic about that she has it in her hand when she tells Hetty that she hasn't seen it she does Dee Dee promises Hetty that she will continue the search for her heart but she and Sexton go for breakfast the Eremite shows up and the diner at the diner somehow spouting drivel about Dee Dee's ankh being the symbol of her power but the diner owner asks him to leave he lets Dee Dee and Sexton out the back way, and Dee Dee simply buys a new ankh from a dealer. Sexton is surprised that Dee Dee hasn't paid for anything all day, but paid $10 for a cheap metal ankh. Dee Dee merely says that symbols have power, and they head for Central Park. Dee Dee hands Sexton the Russian doll she kept from the warehouse, and some change that she has left over from when she bought the ankh, and tells him to give it to Hetty. She then lifts her arms wide and falls into the fountain. The Eremite shows up, as if by magic, and picks up her body from the fountain. The Eremite asks for the pennies and explains that a doctor isn't needed, but that he'll die one day, and they will meet again. Dee Dee wakes up with pennies on her eyes and meets... Death. Death takes Dee Dee's hand, and Dee Dee disappears. Sexton learns that Dee Dee had been ill from being very young, and was probably dead before she even hit the water. 
He's had a few calls from the people he met at the party, though, and it seems that his life is a little more interesting. He leaves the Russian doll with his disabled neighbour. Hetty shows up and takes the Russian doll, because she likes to steal from disabled people. She walks off down the streets of New York and removes a gold heart-shaped locket from inside the Russian doll. Right before my eyes Red and white They've screwed up the printing, haven't they? Page 19 and page 20 are printed on the back of each other. But in fact, there are two, pla- two, pra- two, page, two spread. page spread. Thank you very much, Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> so they should have been printed so that page 19 was on the left-hand side of the comic and page 20 was on the right-hand side of the comic. But somewhere in the production process, this got messed up. And uh, I presume they fixed it for the trade paperback. And I've just noticed page 19, panel. Let's just call it the third one at the bottom. Yeah, because. Yeah, I use that in a media studies assignment. What, that panel? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I kind of wanted to do some gaming esque film poster thing, and I used that panel for one of the pictures. Fair enough. Very good. Uh, Hetty's line about Americans not being able to make tea is very funny. Not as funny as a line about liver and entrails being a far more accurate way to see the future than tea leaves. Mm. I can't see those freaky people that sit on Blackpool Promenade who make money from reading your tea leaves making quite as much money if they read liver and entrails. be a lot more fun to watch. It probably would. Uh, the art isn't terribly clear when the Eremite picks up Dee Dee's body. Um, I thought it just looked like he'd picked up a bunch of empty clothes, if you look at it. But the dialogue makes it that it's her body that she's still there but I I wasn't overly clear on that no um, he picks them up and I think they are clothes because he then puts them down and walks off so how do they know that she was dead before she hit the water then if there's no body dunno which is what he tells um, his neighbour later on so maybe Chris Bacalow's artwork isn't as gorgeous as you expected all along. Okay. Mr. Bond, that was very what's it? Wasn't it? Chris Bacalow's artwork isn't what you expected, Mr. Bond. I was a bit confused by it, but maybe that's just me. Um, I think this is a lovely conclusion to the story. Death's one day of life seems to be spent occupying the body of someone who is destined to die. It's not made clear if death gave Dee Dee an extra day of life or if Dee Dee was dead or on the cusp of death before death took her over. The point of the story, that life is worth living even with the pain, as pain is a part of life just as joy is, is a simple message that could have been very trite. But Neil Gaiman, as usual with his writing, fills the story with lovely little moments and snippets of dialogue and the whole thing just flows over you like a comfortable blanket. Um, I'd recommend this to any 15-year-old girl who's never read a comic to show them that it's not all superheroes. I think it's a really good tale. Do you have any final thoughts? Was there not the whole big thing about she got everything for free, but her rank, which is her symbol, cost her some money? So Because symbols have power. The Eremite's wrong, because her power isn't in the Ang, just like the Silver Surfer's power isn't in his surfboard. Okay. She is death. And everybody dies. It's delightful. Well, everybody does. I refuse to die. I will live forever. Or die trying. No, I'm just going to live forever. You're doing pretty well so far. See? (laughs) Very good. The On The Ledge column at the back of the book mentions the other books that were out this month. Um, 
I was looking at this and realising that I've read pretty much all of these. This was 93, wasn't it? So what was I then? 21. Yeah, this was... I was going through my... Uh, Ted McKeever. There you go. He did The Extremist with Peter Milligan. He's got scratchy artwork. Um, this was my I'm too old to read comics phase. Right. So I'm just going to read Vertigo to show how mature and sensible I am. It didn't last very long. It didn't, no. I read Kid Eternity, which is out here. Sean Phillips did the art for that. Okay. Uh, Sebastian O by Grant Morrison. Yeah, not read that. No. I don't think I have it anymore. Uh, Death, issue three. Sandman, issue theatre. I didn't read that. Shared the Changing Man I read. Hellblazer I read. The Sandman I read. Animal Man, Enigma. Um, read all of them. Uh, we've gone through an entire show about death without playing Don't Fear the Reaper. So, I think people would be upset if we didn't. Episode? Yes. Well, um, I think the bits you edited out. <laughs> the bits I edited out were particularly comedic gold. Yeah. They? So because of your edit- my ham-fisted editorial. editing attempts, and because your mum sits there going, "Cut that bit out! Cut yeah. that bit out!" We should give her an executive producer credit, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next week, Vertigo Month continues when we're going to look at two of the two? four Preacher specials. Did they do four or did they do five? They did they the, good did old the story of you know who, the yeah. good old boys, Tall in the Saddle, yeah. Her Star, Cassidy. and Cassidy. So they did five. We're going to look at two of them next week. Um, I think we should do the story of you know who and the good old boys. Because you mentioned Saints Killers. But the Sense Killers was a mini-series, so technically doesn't count as a special. It's still a special. I wanted to do the Sense Killers just so we could use the good, the bad, and the ugly. We still can. Oh, maybe we will. All right, that's next week, so dig out your Preacher collections if you've got one. If you haven't, Preacher is one of my all-time favourite comic book series. It's got everything. Swearing, violence, and just a tiny little bit of actually having a good story. It's perfect. And you forgot to mention the big sex. Well, I don't know if it's big sex. That's what got my friend into it. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's a sex, isn't it? Yeah. Do you get to see it? Do yeah, you really I'm think it. you should be reading Preacher in a school? I read one of them. The story of a, after, a priest after, who loses his faith and goes hunting for God. After a history test, I read the one with the dude in a gimp mask on the cover. And how did that go down? No one mentioned anything about it. Perhaps they just thought it perfectly normal that you had a magazine with a guy with a gimp mask on the cover. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, see you next week. <laughs> say goodbye, Michael. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. All music used in the show is copyright by their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this. They do it simply for fun. And because they have too much spare time. Ah. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and nobody else. We can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com and our website is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com You can friend us on Facebook by going to Hey Kids, all one name, comics, all one name. 
And now it's time to pick up our bottomless brown bag, don an ill-advised polyester shirt and beige bell-bottoms, and hitchhike down the loneliest road we can find, all the while trying to find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within. You be good to yourself, my friends. <laughs>